0: It is good to be here tonight. I tell you, thank God. Thank God that we are here tonight. So, a couple things to open up. We were sitting at the end of last week, and Steve did a, a great job sharing last week. But I had a confession moment at the end with my table, and I said, You know, I'm, I'm teaching next week. Okay, great. And I said, But you know, I said, <laughs> Bruce, of course, as he's encouraged us to read Psalm 119 five times. I'm going, Psalms is, like, not one of my favorites at all. Like, I mean, I'm a theological guy. Like, I want to get into the, the Romans, and I want to get into the deep stuff, the words that a lot of us can't pronounce or don't want to even try. And, and, like, Psalms is, like, way down on the list of the things that I want to uh, to study and, and read about. And, and uh, you know, one of the guys at the table goes, great, I get to hear about Psalms from a guy who doesn't even like Psalms. So I'm like... I'm like, so I assure you that taking the time of being in God's word is particularly in this. Every time I open up Psalms, I'm amazed, though. I am. And I mean, so, you know, you can't go into and go, yeah, I can pick and choose. I don't like this, so I'm not going to read it. No. You get into Psalms, and you're like, this is just, it's, it is refreshing. It does refresh your soul. It's so, I mean, it restores you. It encourages you. It gives you right perspective. It's just, it's amazing stuff. And so I'm so blessed to be able to teach out of this tonight. And so we are going to be covering verses 81 through 96 tonight. And I've, I've titled this, The Constant in the Climb of Life. The Constant in the Climb of Life. So, so everyone has heard of a bucket list. And if you haven't heard of a bucket list... All that simply is, is it is a list of things that we compile, uh, a a list of things that we would desire to do before we kick the, thank you, right. And so, you know, fortunately my dad, and I'll talk about him in a minute, we got to fulfill one of those a couple years ago pre-COVID, got to fly him over to Dallas. He's a big Cowboys fan, took him to AT&T Stadium and got to let him see the Cowboys play in person, and that was a thrill of his lifetime you know, bucket list moment, you know, and whatever those may be. And, and one of my bucket list things is, it's it's really odd, it's really weird, but it's derived from like, you know, watching movies about mountain climbing. Like one of my favorite movies of all times is, is called Everest, and it's just the story of, of the travailing of Everest by this group back in the 90s who ended up, unfortunately many of them died on the top of the mountain, and it's just one of these action-packed movies, and I'm like, Every time, though, it's not just that. I've watched other ones where you watch these movies about mountain climbing, and I'm I'm just like, I find myself drawn to that. Like, I need to go climb a mountain. Like, I want to go. But I live in Akron, Ohio, and even though Akros in Greek means hilly, there's no mountains for me to climb in this area. So where do I go climb mountains? And, I mean, I've been the luxury to go out west for work, and, I mean, I've seen the Grand Tetons. I've seen Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, St. Helens, all those things. Amazing. I'm always like, I want to climb a mountain. And so one of my bucket list things and I have actually taken the time to study and research this this is really weird is to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. The reason I picked that one is because, number one, it's the easiest. But number two, it, it's the cheapest. Um, and so those are one of the reasons but you know, it's kind of a bucket list thing. Will it ever happen? I don't know. Guys, I'm at the stage of life. I don't even want to walk to the end of my driveway to get the mail. So I don't know if I'm going to actually end up on a mountain one day, but if I do, great, you know. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, we all have these bucket list type of things that, that we want to do. And for me, it's to climb one of these major mountains, right, to get, on, get, get up top there. That would be so amazing. Because what is it about the climb? You know, it's the experience. It's the thrill. It's the adrenaline. It's the ups and downs and tackling all of this, this that's going on. And, and wouldn't you say the same thing just in general about life? I mean, if there's a metaphor for life... It's, it's climbing. It's climbing the mountain. And it's not just about the ascent and descent. Like, we get fixated on, like, ah oh, the peaks of life and the valleys of life. Guys, in, in the midst of the climb itself, there's ups and downs. In the midst of, of the ascent, there's, there's wins and losses and times of difficulty and times of struggle and times of great uh, joy and, and, and great victory. And the same in the descent, But it's in those moments that we we climb in life, the the moments that we find ourselves travailing through it, the ups and downs, that if we lose our focus and we get caught up and captivated in the highs and lows, that if we lose our focus, it can lead to catastrophe. It can lead to catastrophe. Just like in the midst of climbing, climbing, as we live our lives for Christ, we have to remain diligent and sober-minded. Now, there's two words in the Bible that, like, like poke me, like, I, they, they, they excite me. Number one, favorite word in the Bible. Maybe it's weird that I have a favorite word. But my favorite word in the Bible is abide. Like, every time I see scripture where it's like abide, abide in me, abide in my word, I'm just like, oh, I'm so comforted. I love that. The other one, though, is sober. To be Sober. Listen to these verses that Peter writes. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.7 At the end or the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That word sober, it's a Greek word pronounced nepho, nepho. And it means to be calm, collected, self-controlled. And and isn't it interesting that Peter would, would reference sober all the time in his letter when he was the one Who, what did he say? Jesus, I will never depart from you. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. Denies him three times. Jesus, let me get out of this boat and let me walk on the water like you walk on the water. And guess what? As soon as trouble hits, he starts to sink. Jesus says, hey, be watchful in the garden while I pray. (laughs) Snoozing away. But as quickly as he's snoozing, he jumps up and grabs a sword and tries to cut a guy's head off. I mean, if there was a guy who was the epitome of, of hot and cold and needing to be sober, it's Peter. It's me, too. We can relate to that. But I, wanted, I want to say this and I want us to hear it, it perfectly clear. The emotional roller coaster of life is unavoidable. The emotional roller coaster of life is unavoidable. But our reactions, responses, and the consequences that result from them are. You can't control the circumstances of life, but your responses, your reactions, ultimately you can, and the consequences from them. How we receive and perceive the circumstances presented to us in life will many times define how we make decisions and then the results that we reap from those decisions. How we receive and then perceive. What was, now, what do I mean by this? I was going to use some kind of generic example like, hey, Joe Smith loses his job. I mean, I literally, that was the example I was going to use. And then last night I got rocked to my core. And I thought, I don't need Joe Smith's example. I've got my own. Four weeks ago, I was out in Washington State just uh, north of Portland, and I'm working at an office out there. We have a facility out there, and I get a call from my mom, and she's in tears. For those that know or don't know, my dad has been on a transplant list for uh, liver cancer for over a year. And praise God, he's in remission, but he's in, and so he was put on the transplant list, and he got the call. That call that every person that is on a transplant list wants to get, we've got a liver for you. And, you know, my mom's crying, my dad's freaking out, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you know, let's go, let's go, we can get there, because they had to get there, get, I mean, and they prep you, I mean, they, they're ready to go. But they still don't know if the liver's going to be good. Well, the liver arrived about 15 hours later, and unfortunately found out the liver was not a good candidate. Now that, right there, you think could be the story. That's not the story. We were actually encouraged by that. We were like, hey, you know what, we, we've been through the emotion of that, we know what it's going to take, great. Just like any person who's gone through cancer, you got to go through regular checkups. My dad got a checkup, and I called last night to see how it went. And my mom goes, well, you know, we didn't know if we were going to call you today or tomorrow because they had just got the news. So my dad, you know, went for a test, and here his, his markers are off. His blood markers aren't right. The doctors are a little puzzled. And here he's lighting up in a couple areas that show on the tests that they're taking, but the one thing that's not a problem is the liver. And so now they're using words like biopsy, and they're using words like, uh, you know, uh, exams and other tests, and unfortunately we got the negative news that they removed him from the transplant list because now they're thinking maybe it's metastasized. Four weeks ago, we were thinking, extended life, we're going to get the new liver, it's going to be great. Four weeks later, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what to think. And the only words my mom could use were numb. But I got a text from my dad. Oh, I don't have my phone, but I can assure you my dad says, God's got this. God's got this. Now, you can receive that kind of news, and you can get anxious, you can get fear, fearful, you can start to doubt, you can even get angry, and if, if you take that road, then naturally that type of reception is going to then lead to the perception of God's against me. God, why are you doing this to me? This is unfair. I love you, God. I serve you, God. I, do, I, I work hard for you, God. I go to church, I read my Bible, I study, I, I volunteer. Why is this happening? You have to understand that the pattern of reception leads to perception, and then perception leads to action. Our thought lives impact our actions. We must never, never forget that. That the way we think will ultimately lead itself into the way that we live. And so, how we receive something, how we then perceive it, will ultimately lead to the way that we do something, and that has consequences. It has consequences. And I want to say that we focus oftentimes on the negative too, but we are men and we are very prideful people. And in the same way that we can face uh, the negative with a downcast and downtrodden attitude, what do we do on the flip side of that in the good times? We stick out our chest. We get prideful. Look what I've done. Look at all the good that I can do. I mean, look at the example that Jesus gave in the Gospels of the farmer, right? You know, this guy's like, look. Look at all that I've built. Look at all that I've done. What am I going to do now with all my time? And Jesus said, what? You fool. You don't know tonight that your very soul is going to be required of you. We cannot allow in the pendulum of life that is going to go and pivot each direction, we cannot jump on that pendulum and ride it with it. There has to be a constant there has to be a steadiness to our life. I'm not saying that we are to be stoic robots. I'm not saying that we're to be emotionalists. Uh, emotionalist. I'm not saying that. Absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm human. I'm scared about my father. I'm fearful about that situation. I have concern about that situation. And in the good times, we rejoice. Four weeks ago... I was rejoicing. So yes, we can, we can, in a sense, we are emotional beings. We are allowed to be that way. God has created us that way. But we must not allow ourselves to be fueled and, and allow ourselves to be filtered by that emotion in terms of the way that we process and think. That itself has to remain constant. And the only way that that can stay constant, the only way that can stay consistent is through the word of God. And so when we get into the psalm tonight... And and let me say this lastly, though, before we jump into the text, and I appreciate you letting me have a little bit of a lengthy introduction. But the last thing I want to say before we get into it is, is, I want to give you a quote from my dad to my mom. He said this. He goes, "Barb, that's my mom's name. Barb. I just don't know how people go through this without Jesus. I just don't know how people go through this without Jesus." And all you had to do, guys, is sit last week in Bruce's message. And all you have to do is is pay attention to what's going on to realize that the world every single day is trying to live life on its own apart from Christ. Without the reward or luxury of the word of God, without the reward or luxury of the spirit of God abiding in them, they muddle through life, contorting truth, twisting truth to do whatever they can to make it seem to work for them. And while they do that and it may seem to them as a benefit, all it's doing is masking their great need for Christ. And as believers, we have the source of consistency. We have the truth. We have everything we need in this text. There's no excuse for us. There's no excuse for us. And so as we go in the text tonight, I I open this way because the psalmist we see in these two sections of 15 verses is literally riding the pendulum. He's going through the climb of life. And in the midst of the climb, it is tough, and we will see that it is rewarding. But the psalmist, as difficult as it is and as great as it is, is reminded of the constant, and it's certainly not him. But it is the word of God that sees him through. So if you have your Bibles or you want to look on the screen, Psalm 119. Get through uh, these 15 verses. Starting in verse 81, he says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. Your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep The testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me Life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lion wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. We are going to see that in, in these two breakdowns, in these two stanzas of the psalm you can see just by reading it or hearing it tonight that the psalmist is going through a very emotional journey. And just like Steve talked about affliction last week, the affliction continues into these first seven verses. But what I want us to see from the psalmist in these first seven verses is the consolation of God's word. The consolation of God's word. Now, I'm not talking like, you know, jeopardy or a game prize like your consolation prize jimmy tell them what they want no i'm talking about the comfort the consoling of god's word i mean when you look at those eight verses and you 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 see again go back and read them later and really look at what the psalmist is saying he is at the end of the line like if, there, if he is on a rope, hanging on a rope, he is literally on that last handful of rope. But he's still hanging on. He's not gone yet. And so I want us to see some four points out of these, these verses. The first thing I want us to see is the consolation of God's word keeps us from despair. The consolation of God's word keeps us from despair. Look at what he says right there in verse eighty-one. The first three words: "My soul longs." My soul longs. Other interpretations. Other interpretations of this word "longs" is faints. My soul faints. The Hebrew word is kalah. Kalah. And it means to be an, at an end, to be spent. Have you ever felt spent before? Physically spent, emotionally spent. You work all day, um, you come home, honey, I'm spent. I'm he, is, he is spent times a 100 past that. He is at the end of his journey. He's out of energy, he's out of ideas, he's out of plans. But there's that word again, But. My soul longs for your salvation, but I hope in your word. His soul longs for salvation. And while he is desperate, he is not despairing. You need to understand the distinguishing or distinguishment between those two. We can be desperate. Matter of fact, we're all desperate. We're all desperate. I mean, Jeremiah says our heart is desperately wicked. We're all desperate. We're all in need of God. And here the psalmist is particularly in need of God's word, his comfort, his salvation. But he's not in despair. Despair means to be totally in loss of hope. Total loss of hope. But what does the psalmist say in 81? I hope in your word. I hope in your word. So he is not despairing, although he's desperate. 2 Corinthians 4 7 through 10 says this But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. I have this box, and you can see this box is empty. Now, because the box is is empty, if I step on it, what's going to happen? Somebody clean that up for me later, please. It's crushed. It's crushed. But if I put a bunch of books in it, or I filled it up with bricks, or I filled it, just filled it up, and I stand on it, what happens to the box? Nothing. Because it's not the box, it's what's in the box. And, this, and Paul is telling us here, and the psalmist is saying right here, and that in the case that we have, when we have Christ in us, when we have God in our lives, when we have the word of God in our lives, and let's be clear, let's not separate the word from the one who is the author of the word, for he is the word. You can't separate them. So when you have the word, you have Jesus. And when the word is in you, you have Jesus. And when it is in you, it says you are not crushed. So though you are desperate, though you are hurting, and every single one of us has been in a situation of desperation, I can look out and see at least a dozen of you that I know personally who have gone through something in your life where you were desperate. And yet, your faith didn't, did not let you despair. The Word of God did not let you despair. And the psalmist is consoled because of the word of God. He is not despairing because of the word of God. He has hope because of the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said this. Beloved, let, not, let none of us give way to despair. No doubt Satan will tell us that it is humble to despair. But it is not so. The pride of despair is truly terrible. I believe that when a man altogether doubts the power of God to save. And gives himself up to sin because he cannot be saved. So far from there being any humility in it, it is the prouder action that depraved flesh and blood can perform. He says, Man, how dare you say there is no hope for you? How dare you say there is no hope for you? The psalmist goes on in verse 82 he says, My eyes long for your promise. That word long is the same word, kalaw. And it is saying, His eyes faint. What is he saying there? He is actually saying, I've studied your word so much. I've read your word so much that my eyes are growing weary. Can any of us say that we have studied God's word so much that our eyes have grown faint because of our commitment to studying God's word? But that is the devotion of the psalmist here. That is the commitment of the psalmist here. Chuck Swindoll, probably my favorite Baptist preacher, says this, there is no counsel like God's counsel, no comfort like his comfort, no wisdom more profound than the wisdom of scriptures. No wisdom more profound than the wisdom of scriptures. The consolation of God's word is found that it keeps us from despair. Secondly, the consolation of God's word brings a constant reminder of his promises. A constant reminder of his promises. Look in verse 83 For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke yet I have not forgotten your statutes. Wineskin back then is simply used, animal hide that was used to fill fluids, water, wine, whatever the case, it's what they used to house that. And that's what they used to pour into cups and drink out of. And so obviously the wineskin had to be pliable, it had to be flexible, it had to be moist. If it grew dry, it would become useless, it would crack. The emphasis here from the psalmist is that he is a wineskin in the smoke. He's basically describing either his spiritual or physical uh, ability at that time, and it may be both, but regardless, he is basically saying, I am physically or spiritually useless, I am a wineskin in smoke, I am dried up, I am spent. Again, how many of us have been there? How many of us have felt that way? We all have at one time or another. And he is feeling absolutely, utterly useless. But then he says, but I have not forgotten your statutes. Again, in the midst of all that difficulty, in the midst of the hardship, it is the fact that we have the word of God in our minds and hearts that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance that can encourage us even in those difficult situations. Peaks and valleys, right? The climb, right? Difficults, ups and downs. But guys, if you study God's word, to know it, it will always be there for you. 2 Timothy 2.15 Studying to show thyself approved, right? A workman. A workman. Not to be ashamed, always rightly dividing the word of truth. The reality is that as we study to show ourselves approved, the word of God abides in us. I mean, it takes us back to the very beginning of Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 where it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you are in that difficult time that difficult period, what is your consolation? It can be medication. It could be the bottle. It can be all those other things, but that's just masking it. That's the world's way. I'm talking about what truly can console you and bring you peace and comfort. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. And you have to have it in you for that comfort. You have to have it in you, you have to have it abiding in you, you have to be in the word of God. So, number two, the consolation of God's word brings us a constant reminder of his promises. Number three, the consolation of God's word gives us security in the midst of persecution. Verses 84 through 87 is is a whole lot going on there of people trying to persecute the psalmist. And we see a couple different examples. One of them he uses is the word pitfall. Now, if you're if you're a product of the, the, the 80s like me, one of my favorite video games growing up was Pitfall, right? You know, and it was all it was was a game, really stupid, stupid animated guy runs, and he comes across a pit, and there's a vine swinging back, and you take your little joystick, and you hit a button, he jumps, grabs the vine, swings, and jumps off, and go, and keep running, you just keep doing that. Really fun, kind of like Pong. But, you know, the reality is, is like, There are pitfalls all around us in life. And the enemy has established pitfalls. What is a pitfall? It's a trap. And how do you get somebody into a trap? Do you walk up to a trap just laying in the white open? Let me step in that because that just looks like a really good idea. No, it's masked. It's covered. And the enemy traps us with half-truths and deception. Half-truths and deception. Well, how do you overcome half truth? Not by knowing half of the truth, because maybe you know the same half he does, and you don't know the other half. By knowing the whole truth. We need to know the whole truth of God's word. Regardless of perception, regardless of emotion, regardless of experience. We need to know truth and believe in truth, because truth will always play itself out in the end. Verse 86 Verse 86, he says, all your commandments are what? Sure. All your commandments are sure. Though they persecute me with falsehood, he cries, help me. Though, your, there he goes, all your commandments are sure. That is foundational, guys. I mean, we, we just heard it through the Sermon on the Mount, the message of building your house on rock and sand, right? It's foundational, the word of God has to be the foundation upon which you build your life and establish truth in your life. And he says, if you do that, look, verse uh, 87. They've almost made an end to me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. They almost made an end to me. They almost made an end to me, but they couldn't. Why? Because I had the word of God of God. It's foundational, guys. It will be the thing that keeps you from stumbling. What is the greatest benediction in the Bible? Jude 24 and 25. I mean, when you ask people like, hey, what's your favorite verses? Jude 24, 25. Love that. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. But not only to keep you from stumbling, but then what? It gets better to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. With great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Truth, the truth of God's Word, the truth of God's Word will bring you security in the midst of persecution, it will keep you from stumbling. In the midst of persecution, even though they tell lies, even though there's traps, all that around you, it's all out there. It's one click on a a computer, right? It's one click on, on your phone. It's one whatever that could lead you into a world of trouble because it looks good and it feels good. And if it looks good and it feels good, you know the old duck adage. Well, no, that logic doesn't apply here because the enemy is trying to set you up to fall and to fail. You need the truth of God's word. Number four, the consolation of God's word gives us revival. Verse 88, in your steadfast love, he says, give me life. Notice he doesn't say anything about him being steadfast, but it's about God being steadfast. There's nothing consistent about us. There's nothing unwavering about us. But God and his word is steadfast. And he says, in your steadfastness, give me life. And you know what's interesting about that passage is it's not that he says, give me life so that I can go do what I want, so that I can go enjoy life. What does he say there? What does he say? Look at it. He says right this, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Now, how many of us pray that every day? How many of us say, Lord, take this hardship away so I can continue to obey you and live for you and serve you and, and do everything for you? Half the time, we're praying and we're seeking God out just so we can get out of the situation we're in. But that's not the psalmist's approach here. His approach is, I'm praying for this deliverance so that I can continue to live my life For you, that I can continue to bring you glory by obeying the testimonies of your mouth. Amazing. It's amazing. You may ask how, you know, you know, I you might say, guys, I Tony, I want to hear from God. You know, my this is a hard situation. There might be some of you guys here. I mean, how many of us have ever honestly said that? Maybe audibly or in our hearts. God, I just need to hear from you, right? We've all said it, right? I mean, I, knew, I, I shared the gospel with a guy years ago, and unfortunately he passed away not knowing the Lord. And I, I shared the gospel with him, and he used to say, well, I need God to be down here right now, and if God shows himself to me, then I'll believe. And I said, brother, you got it all wrong. But one of my favorite quotes comes from an, apolog, uh, an apologist named Justin Peters. There's a little humor to it. He says, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. It's Thursday night. It's the best I got. But look, that's a great quote, though. It's the reality is that there's no mysticism to this. There's no magic to this. There's no secret sauce to this. You guys are all in, you know, we're all going through life every day and we're all, you know, just, you know, I, I love it. You're one of my favorite things is like, you know, everybody says this, right? You know, when you talk about, you know, how's your day going? What's going? You know, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? And, and you know, somebody's always just saying, just says some stupid saying about, you know, yeah, just getting through. Yeah, just making my way. Yeah, you know, whatever. The reality is, is that what's that? Yeah, living the dream. That's it, right? Living the dream. Yeah, we all know that one. What kind of? Yeah, it must be a really great dream, right? Living the dream. Yeah. Why don't we just be honest? We're living the nightmare. You know. But the reality is this. The reality is this, is that we don't have to just muddle through life like the world. There's no, just, it's all about, it's a simple, keep it simple, right? The acronym, keep it simple, stupid, KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid. It's the word of God. Be in the word of God. Love the word of God. Desire the word of God. Hunger and thirst for the word of God. So I'm going to give you guys Just literally, I I do want to do the breakout. I want you guys to have five minutes. Five minutes, and then we're going to plow through the end of this. Five minutes. There's two questions there. So I'm going to let you answer both questions. Do the best you can. I want you to first talk about how God's word has consoled you. And then secondly, I want you to to describe how God's word has blessed you or rewarded you. And I'll give you five to seven. I, I don't want to do the other. I want to finish this, and we're not going to have time at the end. So Talk about both of those. How God's word has consoled you and how God's word has blessed you, whether it's now, this week, tomorrow, or yesterday, or some point in your life. All right? Take your time, guys. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump back into it. I, I love the conversation that's going on. Hopefully you guys have had some good stuff, I mean it's energetic, it looks good, so you guys aren't asleep yet, that's awesome. So we come out of this time of affliction, this time of desperation in terms of the psalmist and now we get into these last few verses and we see the, the complete 180 shift, the complete 180 shift of a time of now celebration. Celebration. A time of rejoicing. A time of praising God and praising him for his word. And so the first thing I want to see as we talk about celebration, the celebration of God's word, is we celebrate God's word, first and foremost here, because it's eternal. Because it's eternal. Look what he says. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heaven." Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants. God's word is eternal. In a world that is perishing, everything in the world is perishing. God's word is eternal. Matthew twenty-four thirty-five. heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. But my word will not pass away. Isaiah 48 The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Forever. Look at the words that he uses here. Forever. This is the psalmist in these verses. Forever. Fixed. Endures. Established. Stand fast. Every single one of those words is synonymous with this idea of God's word being eternal. God's word is eternal because God is eternal. And these same words that he's referencing here that saw him through this difficult affliction into this time where he can pause and celebrate and rejoice in God is the word of God, the same word of God that spoke life into creation. And that's what he says here. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. He's speaking not only of the fact that God's word is eternal, but that it is certain You spoke it into being, and it still stands fast. The reality here is that God's word is eternal, and therefore we can take comfort in the fact that if it is eternal, it will never, ever go away. It will never not come to be. It will never not come to pass. So every promise that is there for us who believe in Jesus Christ is certain and assured, and we can have hope in it. That even when we look around the turbulent circumstances of our lives, even when we don't know what is going to happen from the next moment to next, the one thing that is fixed, the one thing that is sure, is the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that spoke things into creation. It is the Word of God that sustains things in creation. And it is the Word of God that will ultimately be fulfilled with Him coming back and eternity being ushered in. It is that Word of God. That the psalmist saw. It is that word of God that he clung to in the affliction in the first seven verses. And it is now the word of God that he is celebrating in these next seven verses. His attitude of desperation is transitioned into praise. And that he was now once at the doorstep of death. But now is seeing his spiritual vitality renewed. We celebrate God's word because it is eternal And therefore, we know that God is eternal. And therefore, one day, we will live forever with him because of it. Secondly, we celebrate God's word because it gives us life. Verses 92 and 93. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. It goes back into the last, the last point on consolation, that he prays for revival. And guess what? Because God's word is eternal, because God's word is certain, because God's word is constant, he answers the psalmist and he gives him life. But notice the caveat in there. He says there, if, verse, if, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight. He says that the word was his delight, not his duty, not his obligation, not his responsibility. It was his delight. He loved it. He longed for it. It's what he wanted, and it's the one thing that he could look back on and say, this is what got me through. I was Desperate. I was dying. I was at the wit's end, rope's end, at the end. And what got me through? The Word of God. It is my delight. We treat the Word of God. And I say we with it pointed right at me. We treat it as if, oh, I, I just, alright, I gotta, I gotta get it in today. Oh. Because we know, look, deep down, we know we need it. Remember as a little kid, you know, even as an adult, you remember Robitussin? Like, robitussin's the nastiest stuff ever known to man. Like, I mean, honestly, when my mom used to come, she'd be like, hey, here's your spoonful. Like, I'd rather be sick. You know, Robitussin is the nastiest stuff. But you know you need it. Actually, you don't. It just, you know. But it's the point. You need it. I, As a kid, I liked the bubble gum medicine. The bubble gum medicine was good. But anyway, I digress. You, we treat the word of God like, yeah, I know I need it. I need to get into it today. And man, we are quick to, oh my goodness, sorry. We're quick to do this. And we look and man, you ever, have you ever looked at the time you spend on this? Like These things track your daily usage. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to compare your time in this versus your time in this. It's humbling. And it's, this is our delight. Because we can look at our screen time and say, man, I spent six hours a day on this thing. Knocked it out today. Two verses in, I'm good to go. I got my devotion in. Could you literally survive off of crumbs? We had chili. I mean, if somebody gave you the crumbs of the cornbread that was on that, could you? And that's all you ate for the day. Could you survive? Maybe a little for a little while. I need, I could probably try to do that. No, no. It's his delight. It needs to be our delight. We need to to desire hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 and 16 says do all things without grumbling or disputing that's a sermon in and of itself that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. This word brings life and we treat it as a lifeline in our moment of of affliction. And yes, we should be drawn to it in those times. But not because it's the last resort, but because it is the thing that we absolutely, utterly have to have above and beyond everything else. The Word of God brings us life. Lastly, I want us to see that we celebrate God's word because it is always present with us. Just like the psalmist said, a lot of these points mirror themselves. Where the psalmist is praying for revival, God's word brings him life. And that he says, I never forget your word. We'll see here that God's word is always present with us. We, we talked about the fact that God's word, when we, when we hide it in our hearts, we will remember and not, it will not leave us. And we talked about it because we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's as Jesus described or, or told his disciples that day. Because in that day when you stand before your accusers, wondering what I will say, don't worry about at that moment what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will give you those words at that point in time. When we have God's Spirit in us, when we have the Word of God in us, we have the Word of God. When we think of those moments, think of those moments of despair, what verses come to mind? How many of us have quoted Hebrews thirteen five? God will never leave us nor forsake us? How many of us quoted 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no affliction, that is, diff- common to, that is not common to man, that, there, that we have uh, in the midst of temptation, We can get through it and find a way of escape. How many of us have quoted out of 1 John, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. How many of us have quoted Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We've all quoted these things because we've studied them, and they are with us, and they are present with us. We should celebrate that. Celebrate those truths. Celebrate those promises in the midst of the affliction and in the good times. Because God's word is present with us Always. And here's what I find interesting in this psalm. Looking in verse 94. Now look, we've talked that he's going through all this celebration, but, but life is life. And in one minute, everything could be going good. And just like that, we're right back in it. We're right back in it. Look what he says in verse 94. I am yours, save me. Save me. Save him from what? Down in verse 95. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. It's different than the first affliction. In in, in the first seven verses we read, first eight verses we read, he was in the midst of it. He was actually at the end of it. Here he is on the cusp of entering back into it. He knows that they're lying in wait. But what does he say? I will consider your testimonies. This is why it's so important not to just go to God's word in times of desperation, but to always be in God's word, always being prepared, because we know that these moments are going to come upon us. Just like we read in 1 Peter 5, 8, the enemy is looking, he's roaring around, he's looking for somebody to devour. He's always there. And the reality is, is that if we are not prepared, we are going to fall. The fact is, is that the psalmist knew two truths. First truth he knew is that he'd already been through it. How amazing and how short-sighted are we? The fact that how many times have God has brought us through in that when we are faced with hardships again, we tend to fall right back into our childish behaviors. How short-sighted can we be to doubt God when God saved us from whatever muck and mire we were living in? prior to coming into a saving faith, and then pr- then after that, God getting us through another situation, and another situation, and another situation, and here we face another situation, and we're moping, and we're complaining, and meh. why? God brought us through. Nobody says you need to be, you know, doing a jig through it. I'm just saying, look, have some boldness and confidence, because you have the word of God, and it brought you through. Have some faith. The reality is, is that, number one, the psalmist had been through it. The second thing is, is he solved the limitation of the enemy's plan? And that has to be for us, guys, a reason to celebrate and a reason to know that no matter what we face, no matter what we face in this lifetime, it is temporal. Even if it means that we die. And I mean, what a, what a weekend coming up with, with you know, uh, our missions conference. Where some of these missionaries, you know, have been persecuted, have been through some hardships, and you're going to hear stories, hopefully you'll be here. But, you know, the reality is that how short-sighted to think that this life is what it's all about. Look at what the psalmist says there. He says, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. He's not speaking of God's perfection there. He's speaking of man's perceived perfection, man's schemes that they think they finally got it figured out. He's like, I've seen that there's a limit to this. I don't need to be concerned with this. I don't need to be afraid of this. I know it's only short for a short period of time. Because then he goes on to say, but I've seen your way, God, and it's exceedingly broad, meaning that it is limitless. In Psalm 139.6, when he says about how high is this knowledge, how can I obtain it? It's too high for me. How can I ever know it? That that's what we need to bank on. That's what we need to trust on. We don't need to worry about what the enemy has planned. We don't need to worry about the world has planned. Yes, we need to be sober. We need to be mindful. We need to be looking out. But we do not have to be worried because we've already been through and we know that their their plan is going to come to an end. And the psalmist knew this. And for that reason, we can celebrate. I want to go climb a mountain right now. (laughs) Who wants to come with me? The reality—the reality is—is like, look, climbing those. I watched a video, and I'm going to close with this. I watched a video again, going back to this craziness of a of a guy doing his own amateur documentary of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And it was terrifying, and it was exhilarating, because you go through the first layer is like going through a, a rainforest, and then as you start to make your way up, you get into the Arctic, and it's like. Oh, the ebbs and flows of all of that. And life is just full of it. I mean, you could wake up tomorrow morning just feeling on top of the world, and by noon you're going, living the dream, living the dream. But don't get caught up thinking that life is you know, you're missing the boat on life because you're not always on the peak. You're not always, or, you know, I always feel like I'm in the valley, I'm not on the peak. The reality is this, guys, is that in the ascension and in the descend, there's a lot of life to be lived. There's a lot going on there. And if we get caught up in the highs and lows, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be a train wreck. But we have a constant... And that constant is the word of God. It's what the psalmist clung to during that great time of affliction. And it's what he celebrated coming out of that moment of affliction. Getting ready to head right back into it. So let that be the comfort for us tonight. Let that be our encouragement tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much. Lord God, that you have given us your instructions, your wisdom, your your testimonies, your statutes, your laws, all of these words to describe you. Your word is you. We cannot separate the word from you, for it is you. God, forgive us. Forgive me. For not making your word my delight. For when I do not make your word my delight, I am not making you my delight. But Father, you have comforted us in our sickness, in our hardships, in our struggles with our marriages, struggles with our children, struggles with addiction, whatever it is that you have brought us here tonight, Lord God, you have comforted us, your word has comforted us. And God, let us never go through life experiencing the comfort without turning around and praising you for it and celebrating you for it. Father, help us to not get too high, not to get too low, but to cling to your word to get through this life day to day because we need you. We love you, Lord. I thank you for these men. I thank you for their passion for you to be here. I pray that, Lord God, you'll be with the missions conference this weekend, be with all those that are coming in. Lord, let your name be lifted up. Let your name be glorified. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great night, guys.